Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the pod. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most important things when it comes to investing or making money in general. It's this idea that it's not about what you make, it's about what you keep. And if you want to keep more of what you make, you need to not make one of these three super expensive mistakes. How's that for an intro? Pretty good. Pretty good. Or if you want to just not lose all your things. All your things. Don't make these mistakes. That's a little bit more like daunting. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so listeners, if you are daunted. I thought you were talking about tax savings there for a no, second. No, yeah, yeah. This isn't about tax. Well, it could be about taxes. You don't know. You don't know what the three are yet. So you got to stay mm. tuned. And uh, what do you say we dive in? Sure. You got the master list. So you, I got the master list. The okay, number one, the most expensive mistake and no particular it's order. My line. Sorry. Um, is people. I mean, this is probably number one. Buying people is expensive. Oh, my gosh. And illegal and frowned on, and I don't condone it. All right. Well, yeah, we started this off on a controversial note. Yes. But, but yeah, I think the most important thing to being either successful or failing is people. Totally. Right? So this is, I think, probably appropriately placed first. But, we, I mean, there's so many ways to go wrong with people. The first first thing that comes to mind in this part for me would be, like, your team, your employees, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You hire the wrong person, or maybe you hire a good person, but they're just in the wrong seat, mm-hmm. right? We've experienced this uh, many times. Not you, Reed. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> Reed's sweating bullets over here. He's like, wait, um, you guys looked right at me there. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot to be said about uh, hire slow, fire fast, right? I mean, there's a reason you say that, because it's totally. sometimes really tough, like, who's right and who's not. Yeah, and... If you get the wrong person into the business, period, doesn't matter what seat you put them into, it can be very corrosive for morale. Not mm-hmm. just them doing the job poorly, but um, something I was talking to, I think it was Matt the other day, is that like A players don't like being surrounded by B players. A players don't want to work on the same team as a B player because the A player is going to be putting in A plus work. They're going to be busting their butt. And if you have you know somebody over here that's dragging, then he's, they're like, why should I work so hard? Hundred percent. Yeah, you could have four A players and one B, and that B just sets the tone. Especially if the you know the lower quality player is in a position where maybe they're not lateral, but maybe they're leading the team. Mm -hmm. Right? Everyone is just going to kind of emulate whatever culture, uh, uh, you know, whatever kind of culture is being created by the one that sets the tone, which is usually the one leading the department. So that that's probably the worst scenario you could have because that's so destructive. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the other side, which is like a ex, like an actively negative force on the team. Somebody who's like actively trying to sabotage your work, Toxic. which happens more than you would think. Like you get somebody in the team who is actively undermining everything mm-hmm. and they're starting to create legal risks and exposing you to all sorts of issues. And that one, you don't think it would be hard to spot, but sometimes it can be. My experience with that is it kind of like, it kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah, it's like, like a fungus that just kind of splits. 
yeah, it 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 kind of develops and and, and slowly kind of seeps in, and uh, it can, it can catch you off guard. Yeah, uh, and, and, and it's really on, tough to deal with. If you give the person, if that person's sitting in a a seat of power, they can really screw up things. Oh yeah. So, yeah, people people is a really big one, especially on like when it comes to your team, because your ability to go far in business is dependent on your ability to work with and through other people. Mm-hmm. And that's not just on like your internal team, but even things like your insurance agent. Your lawyer, your CPA, we've had a lurid history of trying to find the right CPA or trying to find the right lawyer. And that seems like it would be way more straightforward. But in reality, those are some of the hardest people to find. Yeah, and the trouble with that is, you know, it's tough with some of those really kind of specialized professional um, uh, people that you need. If you aren't a CPA or Mm -hmm. if you're not a lawyer, Maybe you don't have the eyes to spot all the things that are being, you know, missed or 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 done erroneously, right? Uh, sometimes it takes a new lawyer coming in and looking at what the last guy did to tell you, hey, just so you know, boom, 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 all this stuff is like not the way it should be, which is tough. I, I talk to a lot of people about this, and it's it's, it's very common with you know the CPAs and lawyers, unless you're very well versed in those types of um, professions, like you might not really be able to actually determine how good of work they're doing for you. And that's the bitch of it because you're vulnerable to them. Yeah. Or you're dependent on their expertise because they are an expert expert in that particular domain. You need and both of these things. Yeah. In business. You and not have them. what was really interesting is we've switched CPAs and lawyers a few times and almost every single time we've done it, the new CPA or the new lawyer <laughs> form firm will look back on the previous and say they did this, this, and this wrong. And that it's, must be part of their it, marketing. It must be part of it. Like <laughs> now that I think about it, like, cause it's, it's every single time yeah. they're all like, Oh yeah, the guy that did it before me, did it wrong. So maybe there is no right way. Maybe That's, we're just, it's in the book. Step yeah. one, new client on board, tell them how shitty the last one was. Yeah. Um, I will say that the, the teams we've got right now, um, lawyers, CPAs, I like, Yep. They're doing great until some other lawyer CPA tells me how horrible they that are. That they're doing worse. That they're, I feel like they're doing pretty damn good. Yeah. So. Well, that could just be us being ignorant too. So All right. So the third aspect of people, uh, we talked about team internal. We talked about team external. The Another uh, people that can really cost you a lot of money is your Another residence. people? Another people. Another peoples is uh, hmm. your residence. You get the wrong residence in your building and that is going to be an administrative headache and it's going to cost you a ton of money in the sense of they probably won't pay, they might damage the property, and it's going to take you a long time to get them out of there. So you got all the legal fees associated with it. So could be a PR headache too. Totally. Uh, we've <laughs> had some- a, there was remember that guy that was totally. posting videos of him washing his dishes in his bathtub on Facebook. Yeah, and he <laughs> had, but he was a funny one because he had run for city council <laughs> at one point. Like, he was also convicted of stealing shoes in Florida. So, you know, <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. Residents are weird sometimes. Yeah. So I thought that one was so off the wall. It was funny. But, I mean, I've had plenty of residents where it's not funny at all. It's a literal Scary. nightmare. Especially yeah. during, there's this period in 2020 where, as a landlord, your hands were tied. When you've got an eviction moratorium. 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 There it is. <laughs> um, when you've got an eviction moratorium and, you know, we're in that type of environment, there were some nut jobs who really dug in their heels and took advantage of that position for, as far as I can tell, they just want to create chaos. Mm-hmm. They don't even want, you know, you could offer them uh, thousands of dollars to just leave and they don't want money. They, wanna, they don't want a solution. They want to create I want to see you suffer. Yeah. What is it? Uh, Harvey Dent. 
Some people just want to watch the world burn. Did he say that? Or was that Joker? I think they're talking about, uh, no, that was Michael Keaton. Not, not Michael Keaton, the other Michael Caine. Uh, the butler, he was playing Alfred. And oh, he was he talking said that? about Yeah, he was talking about oh, yeah. how he worked in Cambodia. They were out there doing freedom fighting, and there was a guy going around killing people. They had stolen this ruby, and they found the ruby, and it was like they, they hadn't even sold it or done anything. They had given it to kids as toys, and he just he turns to turns to Batman and he go, uh, and he goes, "Some men just want to watch the world." It sounded burn. so much better when he said it. Yeah. Um, Reed, <laughs> I'm sorry. For one of these days, we're going to get Reed a mic, but Reed was cracking up. Reed dude. has died. Over what here. are you? Are you watching Netflix over there? What are you doing? No, I just love that scene. <laughs> it is a great, Reed says he just loved. That I didn't scene. think it was a funny scene. It wasn't Reed supposed like, to be a funny scene. Reed. Yeah, Reed's but, like laughing at it like he's dumb and dumber. That was my dramatic interpretation of it. Um, I guess your impression of uh, Michael Caine was. I mean, it, it wasn't great. Wasn't he good. Had no accent. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I tried one. I tried. Oh, was that? All right. It well, didn't let's come move through. on. It just didn't come through. You just, yeah, okay, so gonna... the second way that you're going to lose a lot of money, um, cutting corners. Did we get, like, partnerships in the people? Oh. Yeah. No, I guess we didn't. Don't partner with the wrong people. That could be a f- nightmare. Yeah. That there's goes... lot, yeah, there's a lot of horror stories. We've done a decent amount of content on partnership mishaps. Especially if you're an so, LP, you're relying on yeah. GPs to do deals. And I think right now with Sam Bakeman freed going to prison for 212 years. I yeah, think he's a it's, bad partner. It's a really good time to reiterate that, you know. He didn't know what was going on. It yeah, was part, all the other people. Partnerships matter. <laughs> yeah, don't get the wrong partner. All right. Okay, next? so that was people. Second one is cutting corners. And there's a lot of different ways to cut corners, but you got to be really careful, obviously, because when you cut these corners, it's like you're creating slippery slope into slumlord status, which then gets very, very hard to get out of. And I think one of the biggest corners that gets cut on acquisitions is coming in undercapitalized so that you don't actually from day one even have the cushion or reserves necessary to go in and do the work. Mm-hmm. And so you start pulling from cash flow, but then what if cash flow slows down? And then now you don't have the, the money to do the work, but you still got to get people in. And so now you start compromising. And next thing you know, you have this rundown building that is not worth what it was. You have terrible residents. It is causing you headache and it is just a, a blight on society. Yeah. And there is no shortage of this. Yeah. I mean, the amount of people that either out of ignorance or they just give zero fucks, they, they could do a good job, but they just don't want to. Like there are so, you just drive around, you see these properties, you could tell they look run down and it's just you know, whoever is in there doing whatever, all sorts of nefarious things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this, this one, is actually more common than it is not. Oh, like, 100%. I, 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 there's tons I, of these properties. I don't want to say it's like the majority of landlords, but I think there's a reason why most people hate landlords. Yeah. I, it, I think it's not in, unfounded in a lot of reasons. In our asset class. In class C. Especially, class yeah. B, yeah. Um, it, I think it's prevalent just because the price point to get in and um, I don't know, maybe it's easier to get away with this kind of thing when your residents don't have a ton of money to sue you. To sue you, don't they don't have anywhere else to go. I think I think yeah. that the, before it ever gets to lawsuit, if you're a class A or high class B resident, you just go, I'm not going to sue you. I'm just going to leave. Yeah, it's not worth my time and energy. I'm just going to go somewhere else. Yeah, if, if you have a really nice building, you know, there's a good chance your residents might actually be lawyers, so you probably want to be you be careful. That, but yeah, this one's a, a, a tricky one as well because from an operator's perspective, there's two things here. One, you may underestimate how much capital is required for a deal because you're new, you don't know any better for whatever reason. But there's another angle too. If you're, if you have investors, if you don't need as much cash, 
to get into a deal, all the return metrics start to look okay. better. So there's kind of like two areas here that could lead people down the wrong path. One, trying to max out that cash on cash return and all the returns because, you know, if you reduce that denominator, you know, that that that, that numerator is going to look like a bigger number, mm -hmm. relatively speaking. So, so there is some incentive for operators out there to try to make their deals as, let's call it capital efficient as possible, which is really not a, a good approach. It's better to come in overcapitalized, have some moderate returns, and then end up not needing all that money and send it back to investors. Mm -hmm. But not everybody does that. Not everybody. And we're seeing it more and more every single day. So this is becoming more of an issue as we enter into kind of a rougher market cycle, we'll say, where operations matter more and more. But some other areas to skimp on is, you mentioned this before, is on insurance. I think that's a really easy one to skimp on because nobody loves paying those insurance premiums. And it's tempting right now, man, with the way um, premiums, premiums have been spiking. I bet there's a lot of people out there debating, okay, what should I have, um, you know, my, my deductible be? What should I, should I cut some coverage to try to get this down? Mm -hmm. The answer, if you listen to our previous episode on fires, would be don't do it. Don't do it. We've had three fires in the <laughs> yeah. last year, so it's not a matter of if something will go wrong. Just a matter of when. Yeah. And you really, really, really want to have that insurance for when something goes wrong. It's 100% worth it. Even if it's just highway robbery like it is right now, it is infinitely more expensive if you don't have adequate coverage. So that's the, one of the things that you don't want to try to save on. I mean, yeah, try to don't, you know, get multiple bids, shop around, but you don't want to cut a corner there and say, oh, it's a $5 million building. Let's just get a million dollars of insurance on it. Mm -hmm. mm -mm. Nope. What's uh, any other areas on ins uh, cutting cut corners? corners? I think another one we had talked about was inspections. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't skip an inspection if you're buying a property. Uh, this is really just for newbies. Like get a qualified inspector to go through it. In the grand scheme of things, it's so in the grand scheme of things, it's so inexpensive. But if you're a newer operator, maybe a few thousand bucks is like, might seem like that's eh, that's a lot. Um, you you want to know if the roof's about to cave in, the boiler's about to give out, or if there's some sort of foundational issue because you're going to find out eventually. You might as well figure it out before you actually buy the thing and make sure that it is and what you think it is. I'm going to tie this one into the previous one with people. Like, don't skimp on legal and CPA. Like, we just you know we just kind of trashed them, trashed them a little bit. <laughs> but like, don't we go to legal guys. zoom we and do you. your own legal docs and no. don't go to H&R Block and do your own taxes. No, like no, you no, still no. need those people. Um, don't skimp on that, just, even though it's a freaking headache. Yeah, just try to vet, get a lot of, um, try to get referrals. get referrals. Find people that have used those professionals and can vouch for their performance. That'll help, especially if you're new. Because otherwise it's just kind of a crapshoot. It's like, tell me all the things you can do. Well, that's easy. Everybody can What's your that. price point? Oh, that's reasonable. Yeah. Boom. And then six months later, you're like, oh, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> they suck. <laughs> Um, anyways, um, cut the corners. I okay. think, uh, any other sad, we got people, I we got cutting corners. Those are two big mistakes. Yeah. I mean, on any kind of repair, renovation, that kind of stuff, like, um, you know, don't cut corners on that stuff. Usually like a quick, easy little fix here is going to be a big expensive fix later. So just generally speaking, there's ways you can repair things inexpensively, but by and large, um, you know, trying to use, uh, you know, duct tape to fix something here or, or going too cheap on that kind of stuff is going to lead to major issues in the future. So don't use duct tape. Don't people. skimp on the don't, repairs. Don't do use duct tape. I mean, duct tape's great. I mean, it, it's a use fantastic cases. product. <laughs> Just don't use it for plumbing. 
All right, last mistake, and these are the only three. You know, if you avoid these three mistakes, you're guaranteed to never lose money in real God, estate. Real estate's simple. Yeah, so you get your, you get your people right, you don't cut corners, and then number three is location. Location, location, location. It's all about location. I've never heard this before. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe we're phoning it in a little bit with this one, <laughs> but it's very true because there's all sorts of things that you can do to improve a building and improve the operations. There's very, very little that you can do to improve a neighborhood or a declining market. So I'd say almost nothing. Almost, it, yeah. Short of buying the whole neighborhood yeah, and then doing something crazy with it, the, there's not much you can do. <laughs> So well, I think I don't think someone's phoning it in because I think it's really important, especially for new people. People are going to be more inclined to do this when they're newer. And I had a a conversation with an investor. It's probably been like six months now, but he's not a local guy. Um, he's he's done a, a few deals in his hometown. He doesn't live there anymore. Uh, is in um uh, New England area. Can't mm -hmm. remember exactly where it was, but anyways, his brother still lives there. They did a. Uh, um, a couple small deals together where the brother who was still local did the, all the work basically. He's also kind of a handyman and, um, they had bought some stuff a, a long time ago for super cheap. So it's doing okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're, you know, duplexes, triplexes, that's that kind of stuff. Um, handful of properties. And then he's, he, he had started sending me stuff to kind of take a look at, right? A lot of people do this. What do you think that? about this deal? And I'm, starting to look through the numbers and I'm on the phone with him at the same time. And he's kind of telling me like, yeah, you know, the, the only downside is like <clears throat> the, the area's uh, shrinking. People are moving out of it. The market's not good. I'm like, well, I'm not going to bother looking at anything else because if you're telling me that the area is trending the wrong direction from yeah. a demographic and population perspective, like it doesn't matter this on in a spreadsheet, this deal could look amazing, but that's it, that, you know, that you're describing a slow kind of Detroit type situation where it's just, the answer is just no. And so it could be tempting because maybe you have some home, uh, uh, some hometown ties mm -hmm. or you just happen to live in this market. And, you know, it, it might seem like it makes sense for personal reasons. But big picture, if the neighborhood sucks, the city sucks, whatever it is, like it's going to be trying, like, trying to swim upstream. You hear this about like tertiary markets all the time, which is like, especially when you're first starting off, you might not be able to invest into like a tier one or tier two metropolitan so you start going out to the burbs and those are hard too so you go further and further till you're out in like the boondocks and one of the arguments that you hear is well i can get this house out there for like a hundred thousand whereas in the city it would be 400 or five hundred thousand. but you live so, next to the unibomber and you will shack and that's <laughs> well not good. The, the, re the real problem is the reason that building is a hundred thousand is because nobody's living living out there there's not enough supply and like the, there's not enough demand for the supply which is why the price is that so if you think you're going to go and buy the single family home for a hundred and then in, in five years sell it for 400 like it's not going to happen like you're probably going to sell it in five years for about what you bought it for. Because again, if you don't have any competition going in, there's probably not going to be any competition coming out. Yeah. I mean, it, just because something's cheap doesn't mean it's inexpensive, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you look at penny stocks, right? There's a reason they're five cents because nobody freaking wants them. Mm -hmm. Same with, you know, seemingly cheap uh, uh, property. People might think, oh, this is a deal. It's only $100,000 for a house and like the median... Average in the U.S. is like probably what three something high twos or something. Mm. They're like, oh, this is a great deal. It's like no, it's, it's going it's going down to zero or close to it at some mm -hmm. point. So it's like um, Buffett. What do you say? Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. Mm. Or value investors, not 
not cheap investors. Like yeah. you're not looking for cheap, you're looking for value. And you gotta be really aware of what that means when you're looking at demographics. And the biggest one isn't just like, is it a small market? Like I'm not ragging on tertiary rural markets as just being bad generally, but if it's rural and declining, that is no go for me because markets do not, I, with the exception of like Detroit, they, they don't boom and bust like overnight generally. It's a slow decline or like a slowing rate of growth that then starts to tip into decline. And so it takes years for that to happen. And the reverse is equally true. It takes years for it to to turn that tide if it is going to turn the tide. So I wouldn't make that bet personally because it's the one thing you can't control. Like you can't control what happens in the market macroeconomically or on the neighborhood level unless you go buy the whole damn thing. Yeah. And even then, you know, it's probably, it's probably, it's probably an industry that's missing or, or something that you don't control unless you want to open up a factory. I mean, if you're going to open up a factory, then by all means, if that's good. you, if you're good yeah. if, and people have done very, very well in that, right? Like if yeah. you're buying into a small declining market, cause you have some kind of insider information that like Amazon's about to open up over here and you have it like, you know, that's going to happen. Cause sometimes things don't happen. Um, yeah, they that can be a very good time to get into a market. Yeah. Amazon will switch it up. Tick them off. They did that in New York. They've done it a few times. Oops. So you gotta be really careful, but I think that happened a couple of times in Alabama. There's a lot of growth in around the Birmingham and Huntington. Is that a place in Alabama? I'll say it is. That um, there's just so much growth happening there. So yeah. those were declining markets for a long time. But then if you knew that there was growth coming, you get in early. It's amazing what uh, a factory does. I can't remember where I heard this was within the last couple of days. I think it's it's like three to four. Um, I don't know what the right word is here, but ancillary jobs are created for every one like factory or production person. Like if you open up a new factory, yeah, so you got the shipping guy, you got the admin guy, customer service guy. Outside of the company. Oh. Teachers. Like oh, all for, oh, for, for dealing with their are, kids, yeah, so for the a, gas companies, exactly. for the cars. So you open up a factory with, you know, yeah. a thousand people. Okay. That means there's going to be in addition to those thousand jobs for 4,000 yeah. other ones. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons that getting manufacturing back in the U S is such a big deal because like it, it just spawns so many jobs outside of the actual production facility that it's, well, it's hugely beneficial to a local economy. That's interesting. It's like the idea of like disposable income, right? Like yeah. that is they a needs, net boom, right? They so. need CPAs, they need uh, totally. uh, lawn care, they need a gas station, they need retail, they need doctors. So make it easy on yourself. Yeah. Go invest into a growing market, into a market that's doing well and Open find the neighborhood that isn't going to... Getting shot in your neighborhood isn't worth the risk, probably. That's a good way to lose money and your life, so... Don't, don't get shot. That's the moral of this episode. Yep. Is that where we went? Yep. So those are three <laughs> mistakes that you need to avoid if you don't want to lose money, plus a bonus, which is the most important. Don't get shot. Don't get shot. Don't yep. get shot. So that's going to do it for us, guys and gals. Don't get shot. We'll see you in the next episode. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.